Good morning. Welcome to worship at First Presbyterian Church of Columbus, Georgia. We're glad that you're here to join us as we worship God by offering our prayers and singing songs and listening to scripture. Please come in with us that we may worship God together. Our first lesson today comes from Psalm 116. Uh, we'll be doing the first and last section of this psalm. Listen now to the Word of God. I love the Lord because He has heard my voice and my supplications, because He inclined His ear to me, and therefore I will call on Him as long as I live. The snares of death encompassed me, the pangs of Sheol lay hold on me. I suffered a distress and anguish, and then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, save my life. And what shall I return to the Lord for all of His bounty to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all His people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of His faithful ones. O Lord, I am Your servant. I am Your servant, the child of Your serving girl. You have loosed my bonds, and I will offer to You a thanksgiving sacrifice and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all His people in the courts of the house of the Lord. In Your midst, O Jerusalem, praise the Lord. This is the Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The New Testament reading this morning comes from the Gospel of, of Luke, and it is part of the Easter story. In Luke's Gospel, he tells the account of the resurrection, the finding of the resurrection by a group of women, and they go back and they leave. But then immediately following that, there is this account, beginning in verse 13 of chapter 24. Now on the same day that the announcement had come, the resurrection had been proclaimed, Christ is risen, was known, on that same day, two of them, two of the disciples, two of the followers of Jesus, were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about the things that had just happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What are you discussing with each other while you walk along? They stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place in these days? He asked them, What things? They replied, The things of Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. And now how our chief priest handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb this morning. 
And when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman said, but they did not see him. Then Jesus said to them, Oh, how foolish you are, but they did, uh, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all of the scriptures. As they came near to the village where they were staying, he walked ahead as if they, he was going on, but they urged him strongly saying, stay with us because it is almost evening and the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took bread, he blessed and broke it and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. Then they said to each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scripture to us? That same hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem and they found the eleven and their companions gathered together. They were saying, the Lord has risen indeed and he appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. The word of the Lord. Have you ever had your heart warmed? Have you ever had one of those feelings where you were thinking, wow, this is really great and good? It happens a lot, I think. It's notable when it does. John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, was an ordained Anglican priest serving the Church of England, had served for a while in Savannah and had returned to London. He was seeking his way. He was trying to find greater clarity for his calling. One night he went to a, what was called a society meeting. We would call it a Bible study. And the leader was reading out of Luther's commentary on Romans, and Wesley wrote this in his journal. About a quarter before nine in the evening, while he was still describing the change that God works in the heart through faith in Christ, the leader was reading a commentary. Wesley writes, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for salvation, and an assurance was given to me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. Wesley's confrontation or an experience of the warm heart compelled him to make an affirmation, I have been forgiven, I have experienced grace. What's it been like for you in those times and places where you have felt your heart warmed? What would you do? What would we do as a group, as individuals? Where would we go? Who do we tell? What's next? 
after this experience. The story of this walk to Emmaus, this road to Emmaus, is a tale of a couple of folks as they encounter their own strangely warmed heart. It is one of my favorite passages from Scripture, and I had heard it, read, and seen it a lot, but probably about 15 years ago or more, I experienced it in a different way. I was on a retreat, and it was the focal point of a presentation, and as it was read, I too felt my heart warmed in an altogether different way. A warming heart opens us to possibilities. It opens us to things that are out there. Howard Thurman, a great theologian of the 20th century, wrote a prayer that said, Lord, open unto me. Open unto me light for my darkness. Open unto me courage for my fear. Open unto me hope for my despair, joy for my sorrow, strength for my weakness, wisdom for my confusion, forgiveness for my sin, love for my health, my love for my hates, thyself for myself. Lord, Lord, open unto me. Openness to, to what is out there. Open our hearts to this possibilities that are there. There's a great hymn of the church, a gospel hymn, open my eyes that I may see. You may know it. Open my eyes that I may see glimpses of truth thou hast for me. Place in my hands the wonderful key that shall unclasp and set me free. The second verse goes, open my ears that I may hear voices of truth thou sendest clear And while the wave notes fall on my ear, everything false will disappear. Open my eyes so I may see. Open my ears so I may hear. The story of the walk to Emmaus is one where there are open ears and open eyes that come. The poem on the front of the cover this morning for worship speaks to this. Lord, we have walked a long time without being able to recognize you. We were going along together, but our hearts were heavy, heavy with defeat, with hurt feelings, with forgiveness, and with indifference. We were saying as we walk that it's all over for your people here, and the stone of the tomb has rolled shut on our hopes. Remember the scene Jesus had ridden into Jerusalem to great celebration and great fanfare, great hope. He had come, even the stones can sing, was the refrain that was said. The people could not be quiet. Yet even in that week, there was betrayal among the disciples. There was distrust and Jesus was handed over to the religious authorities, and the religious authorities convinced the Roman authorities, the political order, that if Jesus continued to live, there would be chaos and confusion and uncertainty and political disorder. And so the Roman authorities had him executed, killed with criminals, one on his right and one on his left, And the disciples, 
did not know what to think, what to think of. The disciples were not simply the 12 that we think of being the named ones. They were a group of men and women who had followed Jesus for various times and various places, but they had come with him from Galilee, essentially, in Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover, only to find that what they thought was going to happen was completely set on its head. Jesus, they thought, was to be the Messiah, the one that would restore order and, and uh, stability to the children of Israel, the one who was to provide their way forward. But he was arrested and convicted and condemned, and he died. He died. What were they to do? One of their number had a place to bury his body, and they took it and they put it in the tomb. But because of the religious order and the traditions of the day, they couldn't attend to the things they needed to, and so it would wait for a third sunrise before they could come to do that. And the women, some women went to do that. But when they got there, there was an angel who said, he's not here. The risen Lord is not here. He is risen. And they did not know what to make of it. Peter went to the tomb too, according to Luke's gospel. And he saw that the body was not there, but where was it? So Cleopas and his unnamed companion, part of this larger disciple group, they did what people do when we are frustrated and confused. They got out of town. They wanted to leave. They wanted to get away. They didn't know what to think, what to do. They were distraught. They were defeated. They were foggy in their thought and their practice, and they simply wanted to walk. And as they did, the risen Lord joined them. But in one of those ways that happens, they didn't recognize him. He opened to them the scripture. He said, don't you get it? You're, you're a little slow here. The Messiah taught you a bunch of stuff. And let me re, re, repeat the lesson. And, and they did. But still, they didn't quite get it. I'm sure they were beginning to think, well, yeah, maybe, maybe there is a little bit of hope. But when they finally got to the table, when they finally got to their destination, and they invited this visitor with them to come in and to share their meal, he broke the bread, he gave it to them. Sounds like something we still do in the church, doesn't it? Breaking bread and sharing it. And as he did it, they saw. They saw and they heard and they felt something that was remarkable. Wait a minute. You, you, you are, yeah, I am. So what did they do? Immediately. They didn't dwaddle. They didn't waste any time. Immediately they returned to the group of others to tell them what they had found. The way Scripture says it is that they, their hearts were burning. One translation renders it, their hearts were on fire.
What happens when our hearts burn? We think of heartburn as a condition. Many of you may have experienced it, and there are all sorts of things to take for it, all sorts of things to do for it, pills to take, regimens to, to do, foods and drinks to avoid, elevate the head of your bed, all sorts of stuff, even surgery, all sorts of interventions. Heartburn tells us that there is some sort of distress and that it needs attention. Heartburn also is a signal for cardiac, a cardiac event, heart attack, something else that's coming on. And when we ignore a burning heart physically in ourselves, we ignore a warning sign. Heartburn is a way of saying, wait a minute, body, pay attention. Something is happening. You need to do something now. You need to take some action. What action do we take? And where do we go? Before Vicki and I married, her grandfather had bypass surgery. I won't tell you how long ago it was. It wasn't experimental in those days, but it certainly was uh, the first generation of heart bypass surgery. And he was told that the surgery was one part of the treatment, but he also would need to start getting more exercise and he would need to change his diet. Charles was 70 years old, and he was of that generation of men who did not know even how to turn a stove on, I don't think. So it all depended on his diet, depended on what his wife could do, what Tempa could do. A number of people in the family scratched their heads and wondered because she was a good cook, but the things she prepared were not on the cardiologist's list for heart-healthy eating, you know, fried foods, sweet foods, good foods. But you know what? Every time the family gathered to have a meal at their house or gathered at one of the other family locations, there was always a portion that was made for Charles. The rest of us had all this other stuff, but he had what he needed. His wife was able to change who she was so that he could eat what he needed. And he lived another 18 years without any more surgery, without any more interventions. When we have heartburn, when we have indigestion, it's a way for the body to say, you gotta do something. You gotta change something. You gotta be involved. Maybe it's gonna require some surgery. Maybe it's gonna require just some daily routine stuff. What did Cleopas and his companion do when they heard this word or felt this palpitations in their heart, they immediately got up. They didn't waddle. They didn't stay there. They got up and they went back to Jerusalem and they met with those others. 
they changed where they were going. Their attitude of despair gave way to an attitude of wonder. John Wesley, after he had his heart strangely warmed, he wondered what would happen. He wondered where, how things would, would uh, evolve. The next day in his journal, May 25th of that year, he wrote, I could taste the good word of God as I thought about all the anthems and the music that we sang in church. I could taste the good food, the good word of God. Yet, he wrote, the enemy injected a fear. He was afraid that he would be distracted. He would be taken down the wrong path. He wasn't sure what to do. His heart had been strangely warmed, but he was not sure. But about two weeks later, he resolved himself what he needed to do. He decided he had been thinking about and planning to go visit the Moravians in Germany, a group of Protestant Christians there who practice simplicity and certain practices of of uh, Christian life and generosity. And he had been wanting to go visit them for a long time. Even when he had been serving here in Georgia, he wanted to go visit them. So he resolved less than two weeks later, that is what he did. And so for the next three months, he counseled and he prayed and he learned from the Moravians. That's what he did. He took his strangely warmed heart and he just didn't say, oh, it's all wonderful and good. No, he took his strangely warmed heart and he invested it in the community. And the result of that is a tradition of Christian faith and practice that continues to this day and from which even we Presbyterians claim to know and learn things. Have you ever had your heart warmed? Have you ever felt heartburn? Because heartburn and a warm heart can be similar. The two verses of open my eyes that I shared with you earlier, open my eyes that I may see, open my ears that I may hear. The last verse is open my mouth that I may, that, and let me bear gladly the warm truth everywhere. Open my heart and let me prepare love with thy children thus to share. May we find our hearts strangely warmed May we find ourselves with a case of heartburn, and when we do, may we then let our hearts be prepared to share God's love. Thanks be to God. Amen. It's been a privilege to join you this day in worship. We're glad that you were here. First Presbyterian Church seeks to serve and minister in the name of Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord be kind and gracious to you. May the Lord look upon you with favor. Go in peace as you love and serve God.